0: All right, grab a seat and grab your Bible. By the way, my name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, welcome home. We love you. We have been praying for you, and that may sound weird, but we've been praying that God would bring you, that you would hear what you need to hear so that you could take your next step in loving and knowing Jesus, who already knows and loves you so much. And for everyone joining us at home, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. By the way, Logan, thank you for leading us in communion this morning. Man, I loved it, bud. In fact, I just want you to know, someone who's watching at home texted me after you finished and said, Wow. And just really, attaboy, thank you so much. And for all of you who are participating this morning, we just love you. Thank you so, so much. Listen, we're in a series called The Bible for Everyone because we believe that this this book is more than just a book. It, It is more than 66 small little letters or long letters wrapped in genuine imitation leather and 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 some of you you've got like you know a transformer bible like i do right here right but it's more than just a book we believe this is inspired by god and we'll talk about that in coming weeks what does that mean but here's what you need to know we believe this bible is not just for the preacher not just for the elders not just for the bible school teachers this is for everyone god's word to you friend but here's the challenge. Sometimes it may be for us, but if we don't know what's in it, how can we know the God who inspired it? And isn't it true, sometimes the reason we don't know what's in the covers, yeah, maybe it's because we don't take time, but I think for many of us, the reason we don't dive into this treasure trove of life is because it is a weird book with stuff in that We just kind of get lost. And so my goal this morning is to help give you four steps, four parts to understanding the entire Bible, And in fact, I want to help you by the time we're done to know what is the big idea so you can know what your big idea is for the week. So last week we looked at how we got the Bible. That it started because a man named Jesus, who was more than just a man, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for other people. And he did not stay dead, but on the third day he came out of that tomb. You understand the reason people wrote down the story of Jesus was not because he was a good man or because he died for others. Many people have done that. It's because he came out of the tomb. And because of what Jesus did, others wrote about it. And then others started writing other stories or other accounts or other details and explaining how we live in light of it. That's why we have the New Testament, friends. It's because Jesus did not stay dead. And then those who were followers of Christ said, Hey... He talked Jesus talked a lot about this thing called the Old Testament, this old law, this old covenant. Maybe we should understand it to understand him, so that 's why you have the Old Testament. so the reason we have the Bible is because Jesus rose from the grave if you don 't hear anything else that 's a pretty good thing to hear now today we 're going to take it from how we got to the Bible got the Bible to the story. Of the Bible. What is the big story of the Bible? Before I show you all the great details, well, yeah, go ahead. Let's put this up. Here's a key idea for today How you begin the story and how you end the story will shape the kind of story you're telling. This is a key idea that you need to grab. How you begin the story and end the story will shape the kind of story you're telling. Let's do it this way. Uh, help me out if you know how this goes. Once upon, and they lived. What kind of story are we telling? A fairy tale, that's right. It's the story that Disney has made bajillion dollars telling over and over and over again. Or how about this one? A long time ago in a galaxy, what are we about to tell? The greatest trilogy, the first one, that has ever been made. Star Wars, right? It's a space opera with cowboys in space, effectively. You've got a princess. You've got a prince who has a light sword. You've got Chewbacca. You've got, basically, that's just every guy who has a pituitary problem. I mean, it's just a great, great, great series of movies. But here's the point. How a movie begins or how a story begins and how it ends tells you a lot about the kind of story. And it shapes the kind of story you're going to be listening to. And that is true about this story, how it begins and how it ends, tells us what the middle is all about. So let me show you the Bible in four parts. If you've been in any of my How to Study the Bible classes, you've seen this, but this is a review. The Bible is broken up into four sections. You say, Josh, it looks like a really squirrely checkmark. And that's true, but pay attention with me for a moment. Part one, God makes everything and it is good. Enter man and woman. Sh-boom. We mess it up. We have the fall. Sin enters the story. And then part three is restoration. That is from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 20. And then Revelation 21 and 22, the last book of the Bible, we get new creation. So creation, fall, restoration, new creation. Let's look at the beginning and the ending of this story because here's what you will see. Hear me on this one, please. What I'm about to show you will change how you read the Bible and has the power to change how you live tomorrow. And if you get this, your life as a Christ follower is about to take a major jump in excitement, in adventure, and in partnership with God. So I hope you'll hear me as we dive in to see what this is about. So let's see, how does the story begin? Well, it begins in Genesis. Genesis simply means beginnings, and Genesis is the book of beginnings. And so Genesis 2.8 says, Now the Lord God had planted a, say this word with me, garden. And there he put the man and woman he had formed. So the story begins with a garden. This is not a great representation of God's perfection. But this is how it begins, with a tree, with a garden. But there are other details. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. That word is "deshah." Everyone say "deshah." It's a Hebrew word which literally means to produce or sprout. In other words, God creates everything and gives creation the ability to make more of itself. So, for instance, humans, generally speaking, are able... To have children, we make more of ourselves. That's why someone will say, oh, she's got your eyes, or he has your nose. And you're like, why doesn't she have my eyes and not the nose? Whatever. But it's, you create more of yourself. Or animals, they make more of themselves, correct? Dogs make dogs, cats make cats, whatever it may be. And also creation, plants make more plants. So seed-bearing plants make more of themselves. God creates everything. He starts as a garden, and he gives creation huge point, hear me, the ability to grow and build more of itself. Why is that important? It means that creation is not static, it is growing. It is going to be different tomorrow, even in a perfect world, will look different than today. Hang with me because we'll come back to that couple other details. Because everything is growing and maturing, there needs to be someone who will come along and tend to the garden of God. So God tells man and woman, he says, they may rule, talking about humanity. We have a job to rule and that we will fill the earth, that's meaning having babies and such, and then subdue the world. So we are not simply leading creation to grow wild, but we get to partner with God in organizing and cultivating creation. This is why when you do certain things, you just feel alive. This is why my son says, Dad, can you help me? I would like to organize stuff. I go, really? He goes, yes. And in that moment, he is doing what God created him to do. When you build, when you create, this is part of what, Christ, what God gives us to do. And then God blesses everything repeatedly in this poem. Genesis 1 is just a poem of how God made stuff, and the repeated refrain is, God blessed everything. You're blessed. Trees are blessed. Soil is blessed. Spirit is blessed. All of God's creation is good. Now, this is so important. A couple of details. Number one, when God blesses creation, he doesn't just bless things that we would call or label Christian, like Christian music, Christian art, Christian businesses, He blesses His creation because all of creation is good in the beginning. Are are we all together on this one? Just do this unless you want me to keep talking over and over about it. Yeah, we all together? Man, those heads nod fast. I love it. So it's all good. The other detail is very important. This means that as God created it, sometimes in our modern view, we think that spiritual things are good. But, you know, just building a business, raising kids... Doing the laundry. Those are just physical things. Those are not godly things. But according to the way God made it, everything is blessed by God in the beginning. Even the mundane things. There is no separation, spiritual and physical. It's all blessed by God. And the second thing, that there is no separation. In the beginning, do you notice that it talks about he creates a garden. And where is God He is walking in the garden with his creation. In other words, heaven is not somewhere out there in the beginning. Heaven and earth are one. God with his creation. This is a huge point. So this is how it begins. Now, how does the story end? Because how a story begins and how it ends tells you a lot about what the form and purpose of the story is. And this is going to change how you read the Bible and how you live tomorrow. So it ends this way in Revelation 21 and 22. I saw the holy, what's that word, church? City coming down out of heaven from God. And then verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Who sits on the throne, by the way? God. He's on the throne today. Time out. I don't care what's going on, the pain, the frustration, the fear. Friend, you need to know that there is one who is still ruling and no one on earth gets to dethrone God. He is still sovereign over all things. He's here for you today. And I heard the voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is not now out there somewhere, but it is now among the people. It is in this new city. So we begin the story where? In a garden. But now we finish the story where? In a city. The story of the Bible begins with a garden and ends with a city. Why is this important? Even if you take out the cause of sin and God's restoration, reconciliation movement. Although that happened. We're going to get to it. But even if you cut that out, what you see is God's creation does not stay Static. It is growing. It is dynamic. God has a purpose for things to grow and to develop, and you and I get to be a part of it. Even without sin, there is growth. So God creates everything, and He says, Not only is there growth, but now everything is getting back together and we are one. God will be with us. This is how the story begins and ends. But there's a little bit of a problem in the story. This is the moment. Where the music goes to a minor key. Maybe you hear the... (laughs) To keep the Star Wars theme. And you know something bad is about to happen. Because the story begins in the garden. But then there is this second part. Which is the fall. Sin. We disrupt the beautiful growth oriented creation story. God's going somewhere. But we... Take it on a detour. Now, sin, let's talk about what that word means. In Genesis chapter 3, sin can be described as a disruption, as rebellion, or as missing. Disruption simply means this. In Genesis 1 and 2, God has made everything to be orderly, to be organized, to be whole, healthy, and to fit together. The word there is the word shalom just sounds good saying that, just shalom. Come on, say it with me, just say shalom. It's just, oh, this word shalom, it's whole, healthy, everything works together. And this is how God designed it. In fact, he creates it with a hierarchy, with God, above creation, on top of it all. Then there's humanity, you and me, and then there's animals, and then there is nature, like plants and trees. There's an order of things, but what happens is with sin, we come in and we disrupt the perfection of God, saying, I don't like the way you've ordered things. I want to be the boss. In fact, that's what the word rebellion leads us to. Rebellion is saying, you're on top? No, I'd like to be on top. That is what sin can be understood as. I want to be the boss of you, not you, the boss of me. By the way, that's why when we pick and choose which parts to listen to, we are continuing to participate in Genesis 3 behavior. Genesis 1 says, oh, no, it's all God's. It's all good. I'll listen to the way he does it because that is good. And finally, this word missing, there's this archery term. It's missing the point, missing the shot. That's the word picture for sin. And so sin is messing up God's peaceful creation. It's flipping it upside down. It is missing perfection. And so we step out on our own, and so we create this problem. Now, that leads to this other little moment. Next slide. Next slide. So there's the fall, but God does not leave us here. Anyone grateful that God does not leave us here? Man, me too. And so the third part is restoration where God says, I've got a plan because you've taken us on a detour to get us back on course and that course is restoration and at the center of the story is God living, dying, being raised for you and me. Now here's what you need to know. God's mission is bigger than simply taking away your sin. Did you know that? How many of you have ever watched one of these shows where maybe they'll take an old car that once was beautiful, but it has been absolutely ignored, left to the elements, it's corroded, there's rust, it's just completely janky on the inside and out? Any of you seen one of these shows? So in this moment, what they do is they'll come and they'll say, My goal is not to blow up the car and just get rid of it. But I'm going to restore it to its beauty. I'm going to reupholster the leather. I'm going to grind down the areas that have to be. And I'm going to repaint other areas. In other words, the owner says, I'm not done with it. I'm not throwing it away. I'm going to restore it. Jesus did more than simply die for your sins. Friend, he came to give us back what was lost because, remember, the story is going somewhere. In fact, next slide. Genesis 3 is simply a detour in the story, but it is not the destination of the story. The story doesn't begin here and it doesn't end here. The story begins with a good God who gives good things and ends with a good God saying, guess what, I love creation and I'm going to bring it back I'm going to restore it, but even more beautiful, more full than what we began with. Are you catching the point so far, friends? This is what it means, and go to this next one. Jesus came to do more than just save us from sin. He came, next slide, He came to renew all things, restore all things, Reconcile all things. The word renew all things is Matthew 19. Restore all things is Acts 3. Reconcile all things is Colossians 1. In other words, he came, yes, to save you from your sins. Is that good news? Absolutely. But he doesn't simply come and say, well, good luck. You're now forgiven, but you're still wrecked because of this world and what you've done. Yeah, I was thinking about it earlier this week. Imagine we were in a house together. And it began to burn down and some of our big burly members who are a part of the fire department come and they rescue us from the burning house. We're like, oh, you saved us. We're not going to burn now. That's awesome. But then we look back, and while we're saved, we are forgiven. We have stepped out of the problem. We look back, and that place that was once ours is now in ash on the ground. We have not been restored. We're simply out of the problem. Do you see the difference? Jesus did not simply come to get you out of a place or a problem. He came to then fix and restore what was lost and what has been broken. This is such a big point that I think a lot of Christians miss. Because how we read the story of the Bible... How we read what God came to do will change everything we do. In fact, all things. By the way, he's not just interested in some things. He's interested in restoring, renewing, reconciling all things. By the way, I looked up that word, that phrase, all things in the Greek. And do you know what that word in its original Greek means? It means all things. That's it. All things, not just some things, not just you. God doesn't just want to restore you, friend. God wants to restore all that he loves. Trees, plants, animals, relationships. He wants to restore all things. Paul the Apostle explains this brilliantly in Romans chapter 8 when he says these words. Put this on the screen. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. And he uses this picture of childbirth that all of creation is going, oh, come come on, any time now. All of creation. But he says, the good news is that creation itself will be liberated, set free. Not just you and me, but all of what God loves will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. In other words, God says, I'm not simply getting you out of the problem. I'm going to make everything better than you could even imagine. All the things that you just love and enjoy about this world. By the way, any grandparents here this morning, can I see some hands? How many of you as grandparents kind of like... Those grandbabies. Can I see some hands? No, no, I don't need pictures. Put those back down. Just hands, okay? You love your grandbabies. That is something God has given us in this place and in this time. Is that a good gift of God, grandparents? Absolutely, parents. You love your kids most days. Amen? They're a good gift from God as well. But it's not just the people around us that are the gifts of God that he wants to restore. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that there's so many other things that we enjoy beyond just relationships? How many of you, sometime over the past week, saw just like a beautiful sunset? Or maybe you're an early bird and you got up and you saw the sunrise. You're just like, wow. To see the cosmos and what God created just takes my breath away. Or how many of you have listened to a piece of music recently that just kind of caught your breath? Last night about 10:30, I'm sitting out in our living room on our couch and I have uh, some headphones on. I'm just listening to some music in the dark. My wife walks out and she's like, "Whoa, what are you doing?" I said, "I'm just listening to music." And it wasn't something that had the name Christian artist on it. It wasn't it was just music. It was, if you want to know, it was a couple cello players and there was some great bass under it and just this beautiful music. Just oh, it's fantastic. See, God is not interested simply in restoring you personally or somehow taking your soul out of here. His goal is to restore all the beauty, all the good that he created in the beginning. And this will absolutely change how you read the Bible and embrace God's mission and your purpose tomorrow when you get up out of bed. In fact, next slide. How you read the Bible has huge implications for how you live today. Next slide. Let me show you. Many of us, when we read the Bible, we begin with Genesis 3. We say, well, the problem is Genesis 3. And we begin with reading the Bible with that, with the problem. We don't go back to the beginning, yet God gave us Genesis 1 because he says, this is where you begin. You read everything else through the lens of this is how he made it, and this is how he will recreate it. But when we start the story in Genesis 3, when we read and we focus primarily on Genesis 3, here's what happens. If you read Genesis 3 and everything based on that, then you always will focus on what you are not. You are not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that is all true. But God doesn't start with what you are not. He begins with Genesis 1, what He intended you and me to be. And even the person farthest from God today. And friend, I don't know where you are, but I want you to know, no matter how far you may be from God, He still says in the beginning that you are made in the image of God. Yes, we have warped things, but you were made to look like and live like and create like your good God. That is who you are. And when you begin here, it doesn't undercut sin, but you say, this is what I'm supposed to be. Isn't it true that we are more inspired when people will tell us who we were made to be rather than focusing on how we have completely messed everything up? Right? So like when you cold call people with faith, have you ever seen this? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making too much fun of this, but I remember years ago, we would go and do door-to-door door knocking. Did, did anyone else do door knocking? Is that just me? Okay, door knocking, here's what you do. You basically go from door to door to door, knock on it. Usually you'll have a tract because those are really helpful. And you will then ask the person on the other side of the door a series of questions. And the goal is for them to become a Christ follower, to say, yes, I want what you've got. But here's how the story always begins. I remember I was taught this way. Josh, when you do door knocking, you always begin with this question. Excuse me, sir, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Now now, by the way, the guy who was telling me this was wearing a large black trench coat, which made me really nervous why he was asking So if you were like to die, like like right now, what would you do about it? Okay. Now quick question if you begin there, what is the response of the one hearing this? Is it, oh yes, please tell me more? Or is it slowly backing away from the door, locking it and calling nine one one? Genesis 3 is not a bad place, but it is not where we begin. Because when you do, it begins with what you are not. Versus, I want you to understand, God has made you to be something. And you sense it, don't you? The creativity, the things you're so good at, that is a reflection of this God. But also, don't you sense that maybe you just, you feel like you keep hitting like a a ceiling. You keep trying to become something and nothing ever seems to get to where you want it to be. Let me tell you why that is now. One invites The conversation, the other one shuts it down. The second part, go back one more. Also, if you do this, it removes, it's all about removing something. We want to get rid of sin. But when it's Genesis 1, it's all about how do we partner with God in restoring something. It's not enough to get rid of what's wrong. We're here to build something that is right. We are to avoid sin in Genesis 3, yes, but this one takes it deeper. It's not just what you don't do, it's what are you engaging in. I grew up in a wonderful church, but often the way we would understand life with god was it was all about what you are not supposed to do did anyone else grow up with sermons about what you were not supposed to do any anyone else in here and those are fine we need to know what not to do but here's the problem because that was all we talked about our goal was to not do anything all week and we come back on sunday and celebrate yes i didn't do anything Thank you very much. But when it's Genesis 1, it's not about what you avoid. You come back and you celebrate. Let me tell you how God was at work this week. Let me tell you about the conversation I had. Let me tell you about the person I got to bless. Let me tell you about this world-shattering experience that I had. It changes the way you approach your week. And Sunday is not so much about what we avoid, but celebrating what God has been doing This is Genesis 1 thinking. And then finally, the goal of Genesis 3 is all about let's get off this rock because the earth is corrupt and broken, but Genesis 1 is God has made it good. We've messed some things up, so how do we partner with God in cultivating what God has given us? Now, some of you will be saying, Josh, what about that whole destroying the earth business and fire at the end of the Bible? What is all that about? And by the way, if if my schedule of teaching works the way I hope it will, we are going to have two series later this year. One is on what happens when you die, and we're going to talk about that. What does the Bible teach? Heaven, hell, what are our options, and how does it all work? And the second one we're going to go through is the book of Revelation that deals with some of that imagery. And what is that all about? But here's what I want to say to you, just just so I can kind of lay this to rest, is when it comes to the question of leaving earth or cultivating earth, it is all about getting away or God changing something here. And so how do we do that if God's going to destroy it? Here's the way you think about it. You guys remember the story of Noah and the ark? Any of you remember? By the way, do you remember like all of the, the felt that you'd put the little pieces on? And do you notice that all of the humans on there are smiling? Did you notice that? Here's what I always found very funny. They're stuck on the world's worst cruise for a year with just their family and a bunch of smelly animals. I would not personally be smiling if that was me. But here's what's interesting. God says, I'm going to destroy the world or the earth with water. Quick question. Where are we right now, everybody? We're on the earth. But God did destroy it as in he cleansed it, he restored it, and he did a jump start start again. When God says he will destroy the world by fire, it seems that God is saying, yes, I will cleanse it to restore it. It is not simply burn it up and gone because again, remember Paul's words, all creation is longing and all creation will experience the liberation into the freedom that God promises. So why are we talking about all this? Final slide here. We're talking about this because how you read the Bible, where we are in the Bible, it will determine how we live tomorrow see here's the reality friends if today you and i read the bible about what to avoid how will we live tomorrow it's all about avoiding stuff instead if we say yes of course there are things that i do not want to participate in there are things that do not honor god's creation and god's goals but if the main storyline that we focus on is not avoiding but engaging how will that change what you do tomorrow friend When it wakes some of us up, see here's the thing, a Genesis 3 focus leads to bored Christians. Because you think and I think all that there is for us is coming once a week to hear some guy yell for 30 minutes. Yippee! Genesis 1 says, no, 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 no. God has created something. And now when you read the scriptures, you are reading the story of God interacting with people to bring about what he always wanted. So you read in the Old Testament of God helping restore the nation of Israel because of their sin. He brings them back. He is doing something. He's at work. And the people of God are invited to join God in his mission to restore what was lost. And then you read in the New Testament about the church and God's plan to restore a creation by a group of countercultural individuals who step into the story of God. And now when we read it, it is not about avoidance, it is about saying, "God, where are you at work today? And how can I be about that? Because this is not a life that is intended to be passive and boring, but God has invited us into the growth, the beautiful story of God. Final slide. One more. This is the story and you are here. How are you going to read it today? Let me give you three quick examples and we're going to call it a morning. Are you ready? Number one, business. Some of you are business leaders and you have said to me, I wish I could leave my secular job and do what you do and be a minister. Then I would be doing something Christian. Friends, If God made everything good, including business, then you going out there and being the best, most ethical business person is one of the best ways that you can help cultivate God's creation. It's about having a mindset that says God is the creator of all good things. There's an abundance mindset, and I get to help give goods and services to others so that God's kingdom is flourishing. So you be a business leader, a business person, and in so doing, you get to participate in the restoration of God's creation. Let's talk about art for a moment. How many of you like a good movie? Anyone in here like a good movie? And then we have a bunch of movies that are called Christian movies. I love you, I'm going to say this. Just because Stephen Curtis Chapman, Kurt Cameron, or Kevin Sorbo are in the movie does not necessarily make it a good movie. I love them, they love Jesus, that's wonderful. But to honor God is not simply to label something Christian. It is to bring the fullness of our creative talent to everything. This is why you can listen to some music and you just go, oh, that moves me. And the artist doesn't say it's a Christian album. It's just moving because it is not dishonoring God, but they're honoring Him with the words they say and using their ability to create something that I cannot create. This is why certain pieces of artwork just sort of dazzle the mind or special effects capture your imagination. See, living this way says there is honor in the way we bring our whole self into every place, including our art. I think about Paul here, who's one of the best guitarists I know. And when you play, I love listening to it because I see the creativity of God in you. And then let's give you one last one here, and then we're done. Here it is. What about justice? Now, when we hear that word in our politicized culture, justice for some is overspoken and others we want to ignore it. Here's what it simply means. If we read Scripture, Genesis 1 and Revelation, then we will treat every person as the image bearer of God and we will not misuse a person or use a person because they are in the image of God. And so justice is treating all people in the image of God. So how you read the Bible today will determine how you live your life tomorrow. And this is the story. You are here. How will you live tomorrow because of the way you read the Bible today? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the gift of showing us the story. Yes, Jesus, thank you for coming and bringing us back, restoring us. Sin is a detour. It's not the destination, and it is horrible when we see what we have lost and what we often continue to lose in our rebellion. But we thank you, Jesus, that you have saved us, that you invite us now, not simply to hold on till heaven, but to participate in your good work today. I pray as we open your word this week, you would speak to us, that you would show us how just as you worked in years past and invited those to partner with you, that we would step in and join you today in the restoration of all things. We thank you in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen.